Well, I'm so glad that you've chosen to join us. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, Christ the King. And, and we're just so glad that you've taken an hour of your time to be with us. I want to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us at the Ferndale campus as well. And a special welcome to those of you who are joining us online. I want to say a special welcome to the Wilson family who watches us in New Zealand every single week. We're glad that you're here. And uh, that's awesome. A couple of brief announcements as we get started. There's an ownership class on Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock here at the Bellingham campus. If you're kind of interested in CTK and what the story is about this place, we'd like an opportunity to tell you our story and then ask whether or not you'd like to be a part of the family. And so if you'd like to be a part of the ownership class, it's, it's one of my favorite moments of the, of, the, of the calendar year, and I get to teach the class. It's a great opportunity to go deeper into your commitment if this is God's church for you. Also want to announce that Alpha starts on Monday. That's an amazing opportunity to go deeper into the questions that you may have about Christianity. It's the safest place we have at, at, at CTK where you can ask any question that you have about God, Jesus, Christianity, and nobody's going to judge you or your question. It's dinner and a movie. It starts on Monday. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Trunk or Treat is coming in a couple of weeks. This is a greater opportunity for us to go into deeper service as we look after our community because thousands of children, I'm not exaggerating, Thousands of kids come to our parking lot, we sugar them up, and then we send them home. It's an amazing thing, and I need you to be a part of it. We're looking for volunteers, we're looking for trunks, we're looking for candy, and if you'd like to be a part of any of those three, there is a, there is a, a fill-out sheet inside of your program. We'd love for you to be able to go through that and to serve along with us on that particular weekend. Well, nine months ago, we started a journey as a church, and for the last nine months, we have been depending on our incredibly capable volunteers to lead us in worship every weekend. Everyone that led worship uh, here at the Bellingham campus and everybody that's leading worship at the Ferndale campus today, they are volunteers. They have full-time jobs, and then they come and they lead us on the weekend. And we've been praying for nine months that God would bring us His choice for our new worship pastor. And as we had been praying, we were asking for what I thought was pretty normal stuff, but I found out it was incredibly rare in the worship world. We were looking for somebody who was humble. We were looking for somebody who loved Jesus more than they loved the size of our stage. We were looking for someone who felt called here to take us by the hand and walk us into the throne room of God. And it's been a long journey. And I was just about prayed out. A little discouraged even because of what I ran into in the interview process and finding it. I mean, it just didn't seem like we could find the person who loved Jesus and had the other pieces that you need to have in a church of our size and to accomplish the things that we really dream of. So at one point, uh, about three or four months ago, we actually offered an opportunity to somebody, and, and he turned us down because he didn't believe God had released him. And I went away on my break, and when I came back, there was a phone call one weekend and God took us on a very, very different journey. About six months ago, you met a young man by the name of Mike from Portland, Oregon. On a Saturday night, I was uh, in the front row, and I believe the brother who was sitting next to me, when he started singing, turned and looked at me and said, Dad, can we keep him? <laughs> and we began a process, and God took us, and someday I'm going to unpack this whole story. But what I can tell you tonight is this. Our new worship pastor is Mike Honholtz from Portland, Oregon. And we are so excited. (laughs) 
so unbelievably excited. So that's Mike. You've seen him before. That's his beautiful wife, Amber, and his gorgeous daughter, Hallie. She's just a teeny little thing. And they're getting ready to transition up here later on in the month of November. We're so unbelievably excited. And Ferndale, you don't have this opportunity because of where you are. But Bellingham, Mike's actually here with us today. So could we welcome him as part of our family? Because we are so unbelievably happy. That's awesome. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Changing gears. So last week, we started a series called Cringe. And we started looking at passages of Scripture where Jesus made people cringe because of what he said. Last week, we looked at, at a portion of Scripture that Jesus laid out where he told us what he expects of a follower or our disciple. And it was tough stuff. Some of you emailed me and told me. It was tough stuff. This week, I get to, to preach to me as much as I get to preach to anybody else because in this week's section of Cringe, Jesus is talking to religious leaders. He's talking to the religious lawyers of the day, the pastors of the day. And so I've been dealing with it all week long, and now it's your turn because this is just as much for you as it is for me. Welcome to my pain. Okay, here it goes. I like reality TV. So most of the rest of you, you just don't want to admit it in church. But um, I like reality TV. And this past week, I got caught up watching an episode of a show called Hell's Kitchen. Okay, don't judge me because of the name of the show. All right. If you don't know it, it features a chef by the name of Gordon Ramsay who's as famous for his temper and his foul mouth as he is for his cooking. And when I turned it on, I was bombarded by this series of bleeps as they tried to contain this British or Scottish or whatever he happens to be chef as he was cussing out a rookie chef. It was crazy. But I noticed something. Even though I was cringing, I couldn't look away. I just had to watch what it was that he was doing. Why is that? Why is that? Let me tell you why it is. Let's be honest. We don't watch Hell's Kitchen to pick up new kitchen ideas or recipes. We don't watch American Idol because we're just so excited for these new batch of young people who are going to blow us away by their singing expertise. We watch it because we want to see Simon Cowell shred somebody. Amen. We want to see... We want to see this British guy at the end of the, uh, of the desk who actually is truthful enough to tell these people that they can't sing. We want to hear him say the words. You sound like a cat like uh, with asthma, you know? You are utterly awful. We love that. There's something inside of us. We cringe when he says it, but we love it because it's true. And as long as it's not us on the end of the shredding, we're like, have at it. Tell them the truth, please. Why is that? It's because we're sick. That's why. And we're going to get an opportunity to see that today. This week, we're going to watch a bit of a shredding. And Jesus is going to be doing the talking, and that's going to freak some of you out. I've been back out in coffee shops, paying for people's coffee behind me in exchange for the answers of questions. My first week, the question was this. What do you think of? What's the first word that comes to your mind when I say the name Jesus? Number one answer, nice. He's nice. Nice teacher, nice man, nice guy. He's nice. Some of you are going to struggle after we're done because the Jesus that's going to talk today, he just doesn't sound very nice. 
The Bible says this in Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. There's a word we use for people who don't practice what we pre or what they preach. We use the word hypocrite. It literally means play actors. Hypocrites play one role in one context, and they're a completely different person in another context. They're praising Jesus one day. Oh, church was good today. And living like the devil the other six. I'm back again, like I said, in coffee shops asking questions. I was in Linden on Tuesday. I asked the guy behind me a question. You go to church? He said, no. I said, why not? He said, and I bet you can almost finish his sentence. I don't go to church because they're all a bunch of hypocrites. And I have a problem with hypocrites. I think it totally freaked him out when I said, yeah, Jesus did too. Jesus has a crazy problem with hypocrites. Our conversation got really fun from that point on that this guy nailed an issue that we all struggle with and we're all confronted with. And the issue is this, it's hypocrisy. I saw an example of hypocrisy on Thursday. Guy in the corner of a restaurant wearing a Microsoft sales shirt and working on a Mac. Hypocrite. I saw a guy driving an Escalade in Whatcom County with a reduce your carbon footprint bumper sticker on it. Hypocrisy is everywhere. Police officer pulls a guy over one day, asks for his driver's license and registration. The guy asks, what was the problem, officer? I don't think I was speeding. I didn't run any red lights. The officer said, no, you weren't speeding. But I witnessed something backwards. I thought I'd better check it out. I saw an older lady cut you off and Then I saw you pound your steering wheel, shake your fist at her, make an aggressive driving mood towards her, and then I also saw you flip her off. The man was embarrassed, and he said, but yeah, but none of those things are crimes, right? The police officer said, no, they're not crimes. But when I saw your little fish sticker and your Jesus loves you and so do I bumper sticker, I just figured the car had to be stolen, so I thought I'd check. Some of you are turning red. I wonder why that is. This weekend, we're going to listen in as Jesus confronts a group of religious lawyers who are play-acting their relationship with God. They've got fish stickers, and God loves you, and so do we, bumper stickers all over them. But what was coming out of their mouth and what they were living didn't line up. Before we start, if you read the words of Jesus angry here, you're going to make some bad assumptions, and I want you to make no mistake. When Jesus speaks to these religious people and calls them blind guides, snakes, and sons of hell, it's hard not to think that he's not angry. He is angry. But more than anger, I think there's something we need to know. I think there's an underlying sadness here to the words of Jesus. He's sad because this group of religious people, the people who were supposed to know God, are missing his heart entirely. Here it comes. Hope you brought your seatbelt and your helmet. Verse 13 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves don't enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. 
Wow. Jesus launches right in here and he starts hitting issues. The first issue he hits is this. The Pharisees wouldn't see him as the Messiah that he was. They thought he was nuts. They knew all about the miracles, water into wine, people being raised from the dead, blind people seeing, lame people walking, the ability that he had to speak to nature and make it obey, walking on water. They saw that coupled with the authority with which Jesus taught and saying, I'm the son of God, come here to save you. But they refused to believe it. They refused to enter the kingdom of God as the son of God described it. And so they began not only to influence people uh, away from Jesus, they also began to shut doors for people so they couldn't get to Jesus. As often happens, this group of religious guys started substituting their little convenient religious list of do's and don'ts. If you do this, you get in. God loves you. If you don't do that, God's going to hate you. And they started substituting that for the relationship that Jesus wanted from people. Here was the problem with the Pharisees. Make sure we get this. They saw themselves as the spiritual police in charge of who got into the little church club that they ran. They kept scorecards. They believed it was their decision about who got to come to God. And it kind of went like this. Do you have your church attendance card, and is it full? Yes? So far, so good. Do you have a really big Bible? The kind of Bible that we use? Very good. Another check mark for you. Do you do nice things all of the times in the way that we would do very, very nice things? If so, check. Oh, hold on, wait. You go to that kind of church. Oh. That's how it worked. They focused on all of these little small things. And they completely missed the one thing that mattered, a relationship with Jesus. Are any of the things bad? No. They're good. But they held them as a standard for salvation. They focused on the behaviors instead of Jesus. I get asked every once in a while, how do we keep that kind of religious stuff from getting into a church? Let me explain it. This group of religious people would say this, you better behave. If you behave, we're going to assume that the reason that you behave is because you believe what we believe. And if you believe what what we believe, then we're going to let you belong. That's how it normally works in the religious world. In Christ the King, we kind of flip the whole thing upside down. We say to people, why don't you come and belong to our community? Always a place for you. We're just a group of people who've been touched by Jesus. We're trying to do everything we can to get as close to him as is humanly possible. We want you to come and belong. And and when you come and belong, the very first person we're going to introduce you to is Jesus Christ. Because we believe that he loved you enough to die for you. That makes you worth it. So we're going we're gonna to introduce you to him and we're going to hope and pray and do everything we can so that you'll believe in him and the salvation that he brings. And then if, if, you're, if you believe, then we're just going to leave all that behavior stuff to Jesus because he's the only one that's going to be able to change it anyway. You see, we, we really believe that Jesus is in charge of transformation. We believe that we are being transformed, but that we are not the transformers. Amen? That's the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in each one of our lives. Here's the issue Jesus is confronting here. It goes like this, that legalism says religious rules are the way to God. These religious guys hold up their list as the only way to God. Do all of these things and then God will consider you. It is no wonder they completely freaked out when Jesus said, hold on. 
That's the old way, Old Testament law. But there's a new way in town. And the new way says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, in that moment, took away the list and said, you can't do this perfectly, so I'll do it for you. In an incredible act of love. Here's the second woe. From verse 23, it says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Underline this little phrase. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. That's a great line. Jesus goes hardcore on this one. And here's the issue he's confronting. He's saying this. Hypocrisy creates self-determined loopholes. Hypocrisy says this. I get to choose which parts of God's plan I'm down with because I'm actually in charge of the relationship. It's Lord, me, first. You remember that from last week? Jesus says, you know, good job, religious guys. You're doing the tithing part of the Old Testament very, very well. And that's good. That's important. Putting God first financially is good. But here's the problem. While you're nailing that part of it, you've completely forgotten these other big deals like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He confronts them. He says, while you're up in your ivory tower cutting me your tithe check, which I appreciate, you've neglected the fact people are starving. That there's injustice running rampant all over the world. That you're not being faithful in serving people like I've asked you to. Jesus is saying this to the religious crowd. It is not an either or. It's a both end. And I want you to not get hung up on the small stuff, but I need you to understand that I'm asking a lot from you. Okay. I need to talk to the family of Christ the King for just a couple of seconds. Okay, we're going to have a family moment here. If you're visiting, I'm going to invite you to eavesdrop in because God's going to confront us all together in this particular piece and we're not hiding anything, so you can just listen in and feel the tension go up in the people around you, okay? Christ the King, I have a question. Could it be possible that we are guilty of the same loophole mentality that the Pharisees had, only with this particular passage of Scripture, we've flipped it upside down? Let me tell you what I mean. We do a lot of social justice work here at CTK. Most of it's behind the scenes. But we do a lot of work. We live out the mercy of Jesus. We extend a ton of mercy and benevolence, probably more than you have any idea about. To those who are struggling, we do it through food bank and missions and outreaches. And we love doing it because we care about our community. I believe we're faithful in the service of our community. We've actually just started... I'm asking for some of you to, to put your hand up and say, I actually volunteer in my community because we're trying to find out just how much of an impact we're actually having. We do a lot of good things. But what about the flip side that Jesus is putting his fingers on in this passage? Have we neglected the financial side? Are we claiming an exemption on the financial side because we've settled into an attitude that basically just says, Lord, me first? I'll make a confession to you. I did. If you've been here during a stewardship era, uh, um, um, preaching series, you've heard me say this. I was a pastor 
And for the first nine years of my ministry, um, ministry career, I, uh, I decided that I was exempt from this particular area when it came to tithing. I claimed an exemption on God's financial plan because I said things like this. Look at all this other stuff I'm doing for God over here. I love students. I give my time and my passion caring for them. I stand for justice in their culture. I'm faithful in my calling as a youth pastor. I'm doing all this other stuff. So I choose not to be faithful in that particular area because even though I had a lot of excuses, what I was really saying was this. I just don't trust God to take care of me. It was Lord, me, first. Now, I know some of you are wondering, Grant, why are you talking about this? Are we in trouble financially? Did you, you know, what's the deal? What's the deal? Actually, God's been unbelievably faithful to us. Unbelievably faithful to us. I spoke to a guy this past week. When I told him we've not had to lay anyone off in the past three years, he looked at me like I had three heads. What? The generosity of people blows me away. But this scripture asks us a very, very blunt question. The Pharisees had it flipped over. Christ the King, have we claimed a financial exemption and told God, yeah, but I'm doing all of this other stuff? To which Jesus says, there's no such thing as Lord me first when it comes to disciples. Jesus says this to the Pharisees. He says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Jesus says, I want you to do them both. I want you to do them both. And you know why I want you to do them both? I want you to do them both because when you keep God first in every area of your life, you protect yourself from play-acting your faith. You protect yourself from play-acting your faith and you also get to send an incredible message to the people of Whatcom County. We get to send them this message. We're not playing. We're the real deal. And if God asks us to do something, we will do it because we trust him more than anything. And our reputation has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the Jesus who went first and died on a cross. So if he asked me to lay down a chunk, how in the world could I live with myself if I do the bare minimum in the shadow of a blood-stained cross? And he calls the Pharisees out. He's like, come on, people. I know you're doing all this good stuff, but have you taken an exemption over here? Because that's play-acting. That's saying you trust God. But when it comes right down to it, it's like, "Mm -mm. I'm going to do my own thing. I know some of you are making some huge assumptions right now about Christ the King and money. and I probably won't be able to change your mind about what you're thinking or feeling right now. But I'm going to tell you this anyway. We usually talk about this once a year in February after we've all overspent through Christmas and we're all living with the pain of it. I talk about it then. And the reason I'm talking about it now is not because we're in a financial crunch. Are we tight? Absolutely. I don't know of a church that isn't. I'm saying it because it's in the Word this week, and I could not, would not, take the cowardly way out and just walk around it and pretend it's not there. I think Jesus wants us to hear it because he loves us. So, I think this is what Jesus wants. It's the next blank in your outline. I think Jesus wants disciples who do the right thing for the right reason. I believe Jesus wants us to do mercy because mercy is right. 
I believe he wants us to be generous because generosity is right. I believe he wants us to be people of justice because it's right. I believe Jesus doesn't want us to get hung up on the little things that just kind of bug us so we turn them into exemptions. I believe that Jesus wants us as the family of God to go all in without apology or exception. We've got one more to go. Verse 25 says this. Oh boy, here it comes. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Jesus goes on. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. I mean, can we... For some of us, we like the fact that Jesus has taken a swipe at these guys, don't we? It's kind of like they just seems like... They need this in this moment. Can I tell you why they need it? It's because God loves them. That's why. It's tough love, but he loves them because he sees them selling themselves for something that's not going to win a relationship that will last for eternity. He says this, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead man bones and everything unclean. In the same way on the outside you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Here's the issue Jesus is talking to them about. It's this little truth. Religion is consumed with image management. Image management is all about having people think that we're one way when the truth is we're not. We want people to look at us as very holy and righteous folks. And Jesus confronts the Pharisees. Earlier in the chapter, he says, you guys put on these big fancy robes so people will think you're holy and righteous. He says, you've got little prayer boxes called phylacteries, and you just keep making them bigger and bigger and bigger, not because they're actually filled with prayers. You just want people to think that you're praying all the time. He confronts them about the fact that they get a kick out of when people walk into a room and say, oh, rabbi, and they revel in the fact that people think they're a holy, incredible person of God. But the truth is, they're not. And they're dying on the inside. And Jesus shows up and has the audacity to say, it doesn't need to be that way, guys. So here's a confession for you. I caught myself doing image management this past week. I'm working in a local coffee shop because I just like writing stuff when people are around. I'm sitting in a corner working away, but I caught myself doing something. I'm in the corner and I pull out my nice big fat commentaries that are very impressive to church people, or so pastors think, and my big Bible, and I caught myself making sure that it was right on on the front corner so that everybody would know exactly what I was doing in the corner. God's stuff going on over here. Better not interrupt. There's a swirl of clergy dust going right around my head. Downloading stuff from the Holy Spirit. Stay out of the way. But come and join me this weekend. hate it when God thumps you with your own message. It just came and stood there with me. Great, you're so consumed with how you look on the outside. 
But the fact that you're doing that shows me that you're dying on the inside. And I can hear myself preaching to me. When pride walks onto a stage, Jesus walks off. guess I have a lot of work to do too. I believe Jesus is saying this to them and to me, that authentic transformation, it doesn't soak in, it spills out. I think this is what that means. You can't layer, layer it on from the outside in, folks. Inner transformation starts way down deep in the bottom of your soul, and then it bubbles out. Transformation starts with a new relationship with Jesus who reconstructs your soul, makes you a new creation, and takes care of that old stuff. He just strips it away so that a new life can emerge. I got to meet a guy this week who just got saved last Sunday morning. Gave his heart to Jesus in the middle of one of the most difficult messages that I've ever preached. And you know what he's been doing all week? He's been telling people. You know why? Because found people find people. That's why. Found people, find people, and he can't, he can't stop himself. It's just, whoo, out it comes. How's your day? Awesome. Can I tell you what happened to me? Boom, out it comes. You can't contain it. It doesn't soak in. It spills out. And as it spills out, God begins to remove all of that old stuff, and he just peels it away, all those old layers, and that new creation, it can't help itself but bubble out of us. Authentic transformation, it doesn't soak in, it spills out. And so many of us get caught in this process. We just keep layering it on the outside. No, I'm good, I'm fine, you don't need to pray for me, I'm just good. Another layer of whitewash, seriously, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And inside, we're dying. Can I tell you something from experience about my own hypocrisy that I've learned? You're not fooling God with your act. (laughs) Why do we think we can? You know, I'm lying to Jesus. How are you doing, Grant? Oh, just great. Thank you, God. You're trying to impress people with a stack of books. Are you kidding me? Can we talk about what's really happening? Apparently, it's not so good right now. Your outward act isn't fooling God, neither does mine. You know how I know that? 1 Samuel 16 says this, the Lord doesn't look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but Lord, the Lord looks at the heart. Jesus is telling these guys, begging these guys, stop washing the outside. Stop painting the exterior. You're not fooling anybody. Let me work on the inside of your soul. Ditch that legalistic, religious, hypocritical garbage and let me take a shot at your heart. You can trust me. Jesus loves Pharisees. He just couldn't stand by and let them get stuck over here on this list of do's and don'ts. They were religious people, and let me tell you the difference between religion and relationship. Religion says, I have to be right. Relationship says, only Jesus is right. Religion's focused on keeping people out because they're messy. Relationship is focused on on bringing people in because we're all messy. Religious, legalistic hypocrisy says, I've got a list of stuff that I do and that I don't do, and that's what makes God happy with me. Authentic relationship says, I have a Savior, and He's transforming me 
from the inside out. I gave my heart to Jesus a really, really long time ago. And in that moment, I went from um, a very, very dark place in my soul over into a place that was just consumed with light. Over here, I was a liar. Over here, I was a forgiven child of the Most High God. But an amazing thing happened. Over years, I went to Bible college. Now, I know that should be a good thing, but for me, it went a different direction. I went to Bible college, and I got really religious. And I found myself a really, really big Bible, and it became an amazing weapon. And I never let it become a mirror to my soul. I just allowed it to become a scoreboard on your soul, and I was the scorekeeper. And I began to slide, thinking I was very, very righteous. And I ended up finding myself where a lot of Christians end up, sitting on the fence, playing both sides against the middle. And I convinced myself I was still doing lots of God stuff. So that was really, 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 really good. And I thought God, because I was doing all this good God stuff, would wink at all of these little exceptions and loopholes that I'd created for myself. So I took up residency from when I was about 19 till I was about 21 and a half. And then God started talking to me. And one of the things that he said to me was a question, and the question went like this. Grant, have you noticed that the enemy's not bugging you when you're sitting on the fence? I mean, seriously, Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him, have you noticed that he doesn't seem to be worried or concerned about you at all ever since you've taken up your position on the fence? And would you like to know why? I was a little curious. I'm like, yeah, I've kind of noticed. He, he stopped opposing me. He's not trying to discourage me anymore. In fact, he seems to be somewhat okay with the fact I'm sitting on the fence. And it doesn't make any sense to me because I'm doing some really, really, really good God stuff. And Jesus let me in on a little secret that I think we all need to know. The fence belongs to the devil. And we have to choose. If you're here, you've made your decision. Because Jesus won't let you do Jesus on the side. He loves you too much to allow you to fool yourself into thinking you can do Jesus on the side. And so he asks all of us to make a choice. Make a decision. One way or the other. You know, I, I thought I had the best of both worlds. I did. I thought I was good. Filled with something. But I was dying on the inside because I refused to trust that when God said all in was better, that he meant all in is better. 
Because over here, there's an amazing thing. Over here is exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or imagine. Over here is, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That happens here. Pharisees got stuck here. And Jesus loved them enough to make them cringe. My hope and prayer is that the words that he sent to them, that Christ the King is wise enough to realize that they might be for us too. So we're going to have a moment today that, that I had on Wednesday. Because I had to repent and, and make right with God some areas in my life that the bottom line is I'm just plain a hypocrite. Painful things that you realize I let this little thing get in the way of my relationship with Jesus. And I'm talking to Christians right now. There's only one way to deal with hypocrisy. And that's from the inside out. That's from saying, I will trust God fully and completely. So if you'll join me in a moment, we're going to pray. I'm just going to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. And and I'm going to pray for me and invite you to eavesdrop. And if you'd like to join me in this prayer, I'd encourage you to pray along with me today. Jesus, would you forgive me for my inconsistencies? Do you forgive me for the areas in my life where I'm play-acting? God, would you teach me what it means to not live anywhere even close to the fence? Jesus, thank you for loving the Pharisees enough to tell them the truth, and thank you for loving me enough to tell them the truth, to tell me the truth too. Jesus, I don't want to do my relationship with you on the side as a convenient. I don't want anything to do with Lord me first, but I need you to help me. Because I get all caught in my own stuff. And I need you to forgive me for my hypocrisy. Lord, I pray that you would help me to be consistent single-hearted, and solely devoted to you and you alone. I pray that there would be nothing in my life that would make people question my love for you. I pray that you'd help me in everything to practice what I preach. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this moment, for those who are making things right. Thank you that forgiveness is free and grace is amazing I'm just going to give you a moment to have a personal conversation with Jesus on your own confessing what you need to confess asking for forgiveness what you need to ask for forgiveness for Father, I pray that you would never have to describe us as legalistic religious hypocrites. I thank you that you look at us 
as dearly loved and forgiven children of the Most High God. May we live for you and you alone. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if, I know we've been hitting this stuff hard the last couple of weeks. I hope you can hear the love that Jesus has for every person and he loves them enough to tell them the truth. My prayer is that you would know Jesus and the fact that he loved you so much that he came and died on the cross to save you. I pray that you would know him and him alone. He's the first person we want to introduce you to. And maybe you're here today in Bellingham or in Ferndale. And even though we've been putting the bar unbelievably high, that today would be the day when you would say, I'm done being a hypocrite. And I'm crossing fully over. And I'm going to believe what Jesus said, and I'm going to live my life as a fully devoted follower of Christ. If that's your desire in your heart today, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me in your heart right now. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Jesus, forgive me for being so hypocritical that I would say to my creator, I don't need to live for you because I think I can do it just fine on my own. Jesus, I repent of that attitude. And even though I don't deserve it, I ask you to forgive my sin to wash me as white as snow and to cleanse me and to begin this transformation from the inside out. Jesus, I receive eternal life from you as a promised gift. I give my heart fully and completely to you. Take my life and make it into something, God. I follow you and you alone. I'm done with the fence. I'm done with the darkness. I choose you because you first loved me. Thank you for forgiving me and setting me free. I give you my heart. If you prayed that prayer in faith today, I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you, but I'd love to know about your decision. That even though the cost is high, that you're giving your heart fully and completely to Jesus today. And I'm going to ask you just to, to indicate that. Would you just stick your hands straight up in the air so that I can see it? God bless you. And you and you and God bless you and God bless you. And God bless you over here on this side. God bless you, young man. God bless you. God bless you back there. God bless you. God bless you too. God bless you. God, thank you that you're still transforming lives. Thank you that you love us enough to tell us the truth. And I pray for these right now who are, have given their heart to you, who've crossed the line of faith. Lord, I pray that they would live free and clean in the light of your goodness and your grace. We love them today. We applaud this decision knowing it's the best decision they could ever make. Jesus, would you allow us to be their church as they take these initial steps of faith. And we pray these things in your precious and holy name. And the family of God agreed and said, amen, amen and amen. Can we encourage those who made that step today?